So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. All right, Vicky. Hey, Sabrina. You and I kind of did our own thing. Yes, we did. We ran in different directions. Tell us a little bit about your direction. I spoke to a farm worker who's here in Canada under the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. He's here on the Agricultural Worker Visa. And so we wanted to speak to him about Parliament and its review of the program. So it's a program that's pretty wide open to abuse and workers under it don't have a lot of rights. And so they're speaking to Parliament to get them to change how the program works. Tell us about what you have this week. Manliness and politics, specifically our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's manliness and masculinity and how it played out during the 2015 election. Because I'm sure, as you remember, there are a lot of digs made about his youthfulness, his inexperience, and also his hair kept coming up time and time again. He has and good hair. He does have very good hair. So this was looking specifically at masculinity, and uh, it's a real interesting conversation. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm Spriya Devetti. I'm Vicky Mochama. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is sponsored by Audible. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. Audible.com provides over 250,000 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. If you decide you don't like the book you choose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. Vicky, what's something you're listening to on Audible right now? I am listening to White Girls by Hilton Alls. If you like culture criticism that is smart and funny and snappy, it's a great book. Damn, that's good. And just for our listeners, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash CanadaLand to start your free trial today. Again, show your support for CanadaLand Commons and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash CanadaLand. So before we get into the more meaty, substantive parts of this episode, I wanted to ask you if you thought there was a problem with our national anthem. I think there's many problems with our national anthem. First of all, it's not set to a reggae dance hall beat. I know, there's no bass. It's really hard to grind in the corner of a club to our national anthem, and that's really upsetting to me. But other people have other problems with it. 
Yeah, so Moral Belanger, who had introduced this bill to change the national anthem to use more gender-inclusive terms, so changing an all-our-sons command to all-of-us command, and this is problematic for many people who tend to not want any change in anything. And I get it. I get both sides. I get it not being a pressing issue. So for people that want the anthem to stay the same, it's like, why does it need changing? But the other side is also pretty compelling, too. It's like, why not? Why not change it? It is 2016. Does it really matter? Would people really notice? Like, are you less of a Canadian if we changed it to all of us, Kim I I don't think so. If you are somebody who doesn't live within the mainstream gender binary, these things are always pressing. Feeling like you're acknowledged by your country, it's always a pressing thing. The other part of that is nobody is legally required to sing any portion of the anthem in any way that it says. If you wanted to make up your own lyrics, go ahead. They're still Remix! Just <laughs> exactly. If you wanted to sing some other lines, go ahead, make them up. The police are not going to drop down suddenly and stop you. So if you want to keep singing in all of thy son's command, keep on singing it. It's a democracy. You do you, girl. You do you. Supriya, have you ever looked at the French translation of O Canada? I have. So somewhat of an embarrassing admission on my part is that I actually only really knew the bilingual version because that's what they sang at Habs games for the longest time. And I was like too old to have never not known the full English version or the full French version. So I have the French translation here. And one of the lines here is, thy brow is wreathed with a glorious garland of flowers as in thy arm ready to wield the sword. Yeah, I think that's awesome. People are always talking about La Langue de Molière, and, uh, you know, this is where the French language really, really comes through to shine. Yeah, I'm really sad about it, because the rest of us punk English people are singing with glowing hearts we see thee rise, while French people are like, I will straight up cut you with my sword. So, Vicky, before we start, actually, on the substantive stuff, I have one last thing. In fact, I hope it becomes a recurring segment called Tweet Beat. What's this about? Tell me. Well, it's about tweets that piss me off, really. But so this particular tweet has to do with Nikki Ashton, who, of course, is a sitting NDP MP who left to go to North Dakota to campaign for Bernie Sanders. Now, I care less who she's actually going to leave to campaign for, but the House is sitting. She has claimed that she went on a Sunday, so it didn't interfere with any of her duties. But should we have actually sitting legislators going down south to like, I don't know, it just seems unseemly to me. It just doesn't seem like a good thing to be bragging about on Twitter, except for like, I'm tying myself to this political candidate you Canadians like also. And also when he's going to lose, okay? Like the Democratic nomination is all but clinched for Clinton and free Bernie bros out there, Bernie supporters. Let me just tell you, she has won not only in the popular vote, but also in terms of pledge delegates. It just seems like a weird step to take. Like if I were somebody working in PR for the NDP, I would be furious about this. because It's like, we just lost an election. Don't tie us to a losing candidate in another country. We don't need that. So Vicky, you spoke to Gabriel Aladua. Who is he? Give us a little bit of background on him. So Gabriel is a farm worker. He works on a farm in Ontario. He's originally from St. Lucia, but he came here to do seasonal work under the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. And that's the program where a Canadian company can bring in foreign workers to get a job done when there's no one around here to do it. That's right. So there are people who come here to do seasonal work year after year, but they don't get the same rights as Canadians. They're basically living at the mercy of their employer on their visa, and that leaves them open to a lot of labor abuse. So when it comes to housing, their housing is often substandard, and there's so many of them crammed in a space. That's an example of the kind of abuse that they're open to. So there are some migrant workers and organizations out there that are pushing to get permanent residency for these workers. That makes sense. And Parliament is thankfully now reviewing the program. 
Yes, absolutely. Gabriel was able to speak to the committee that's reviewing the program on behalf of the Coalition for Migrant Workers' Rights in Canada. And how did that go? He was not happy about it. I reached him on his cell phone last week and he told me about it. I started by asking him what a typical day looks like for him. An average day, it's really, really um, long. It starts at five on the farm where I live, where I work. There are 62 guys and there are only three stoves with 14 burners. Getting access to the stove is difficult, so my day starts at 5 in the morning, where it is at that time, it's generally easier to get access to the stove. From there on, my day has started. Then um, we normally start work at 7. Most of us would finish at 7 in the night, so it's 7 to 7. And um, sometimes, depending on the tasks that we do, like me, certain days when we're harvesting, um, we would finish at 10 o'clock in the night. The pace at which we work is really, really fast because one row of plants contain roughly 500 plants and uh, per acre, there are very few of us, so we expected to cover a lot of work. In addition to that, we are constantly being reminded that there are lots of people lined up to take our job if we cannot meet the farm's expectation. Were you actually interested in coming to Canada? Did it have a draw for you? The truth is, I didn't have a choice. My country was affected by a hurricane in 2009. At that time, I was self-employed. I was involved in five different activities. I thought um, that I was well diversified, that if one was affected, that, you know, I had four others to survive on. But the truth is, after that hurricane, all the five different activities were affected. So I became unemployed. You know, I have two kids. I have a family to support. And being unemployed is a really, really difficult situation. And in my country, practically, there's no safety net for anybody who is unemployed. And um, it means that having a family, you, you are left to do any and everything possible to support your family. At that time, being at my, maybe at my lowest in my life, the opportunity to work in Canada presented itself. The impression I have of Canada is that it's a place of diversity and inclusiveness. It's a place where human rights is guaranteed to all. Tell us a bit about your family life now. Are your kids back home in St. Lucia? Yes. Um, well, that is another area with the program. The program does not allow us to bring our families with us. And for me personally, I have two kids and the mom passed away 11 years ago. And that is a serious challenge for me. For example, my son started college in September last year. And by October, he quit school. Not having a formal education means that you become a burden to society. What is the point in life? If you cannot share your time with the people that matter to you the most, and the people that matter to you the most is your family. What are you asking the government to do for migrant workers like yourself? Um, what we're asking the government to do is one simple thing, is to grant us good jobs, to grant us jobs with good conditions. As it is right now, we do not enjoy the same benefits that Canadians enjoy. We're just asking the government to make all workers enjoy the same benefits. And the only way we can enjoy the same benefits as all the other Canadians do is to grant us status, to make us equal like anyone else. We work hard like every Canadian. We 
consistently contribute to EI and CPP and all of them. We ask Canada, the Canada that is known for human rights, the Canada that is known for diversity, the Canada that is known as a safe place of refuge. We ask that Canada to step up and make all workers equal. Do not have a one class of workers and a different set of rules for other workers. So, Vicky, I'm curious, did you ask him about the temporary aspect of the temporary foreign workers program? Because, I mean, it seems to me that if if people like Gabriel are brought in to fill in temporary labor shortages, and that's exactly what it's meant to be, temporary, wouldn't giving them permanent residency status nullify the central point of the program in that it would no longer be temporary? It would just be the foreign workers program? Yes. Which sounds racist. (laughs) That's fair. I did ask him, and here's what he said to that. I have serious issues with the word temporary because this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program. On the farm where I work, inside of the greenhouse, they need workers all year round. So the word temporary does not really fit. That's one. Number two is getting rid of the program does not solve the problem. To me, it will compound the problem. We engage in the production of food to feed all Canadians. To get another set of people to do that, I don't know how would that be possible. However, to us, it will not do anything other than grant us the job that we are doing right now with better conditions. That's all it will change. It will just change the conditions under which we are working. It will just make all workers in Canada equal. That's all it will do. It will not decrease the amount of food that's being produced. It will not result in anything other than create jobs with better conditions. That's all we're asking for. Because as it is right now, we are tied to one employer. That employer controls our housing. In addition to that, we have a contract which is not enforceable. Are these modern 21st century working conditions or are these, are these systems to perpetuate 18th century you know, working conditions? And that's all we're asking for, for Canada to step up and create 21st century working conditions. And the only solution we see is to grant status upon landing that will make working conditions equal for all workers in Canada. So what happens for you when you have a problem at work? Who do you speak to? That is a dilemma that we are facing, right? The moment you speak up, you've been threatened to lose your job. You've been threatened to send back home. On the other side, if you send home, it's difficult to get employment. You're caught between a rock and a hard stone. I myself have taken the risk to speak up. I've taken the risk and I know what is likely to happen to me, me taking the risk. And my friends... The farms where I visit and so on, the other colleagues that I made, they share the same story with me. The truth is, you're not allowed to speak up. That is why in Canada, the average household does not know this system exists in Canada. Why? The system is designed such a way that you are forced to work under these conditions and keep your mouth shut. And that is not Canada. That is not Canada. That is a different country. I cannot believe that is happening in Canada. So you spoke to the standing committee about this. Did you ask him about that? Like, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I asked him about what his experience was like on the day of speaking in the House of Commons to the committee. That experience, I would say, it did not live up to expectations. I had to share seven minutes with another colleague. Two of us sharing seven minutes. What does that mean? A program that is this year marks the 50th anniversary. What can three minutes do to, is that justice? And yet still the government is using the word review. They're carrying out a review. That is a political word, the word review. Review gives me and would give the public the impression or the assurance that 
it will be thorough, it would be systematic, it would be open, it would be transparent, and so on. But when you've been rushed, the review is being conducted in a rush, rush manner, that's one. And you have limited time, that's two. It wasn't being televised, that's three. Um, number four, we had to present along with other competing um, um, sectors. For example, they had other people who were talking about, um, let me see, some um, IT, some game stuff, right? Which was really pushing us in a corner because the IT stuff, more questions were directed at the guy and, and the agriculture program was basically shoved in a corner. So um, something that's rushed, something that's not been televised, something that is the money in which it's conducted, that is not a review. And it is like a set I don't know if that word is used in Canada. They know what the conclusion they want. So they're just doing that as formality. What happens for you now if the laws don't change? The truth is, the 16 real concerns we have there with the program, they're in the system. They've been existing for 50 years. I cannot change it on my own. I cannot change it on the farm where I am. For the change to come, it has to be at the political level. It's the laws that must be changed. Now, if they do not bring the change that's necessary, and I don't expect them to, however, our job will be to apply political pressure. And how do we do that? Through a number of ways. Presently, we have an online petition to pressure the government. Number two, by taking part in um, radio programs like this one right now, we also have town hall meetings we have a whole series of activities basically to educate and inform the public. We are also working alongside our sister organizations, the different um, unions and so on. We need the support of the public to call the MPs and MPPs to lobby them. Come September, October, we'll be marching from Windsor, Limington, Windsor to Ottawa to lay our demands for status. So that's a lot of action that you're doing. But what happens to you if nothing changes? Are you able to get work? What happens to your life? Um, the truth is, the truth is, if we want to be comfortable, we stay out of politics. To love the children of the poor who are marked by unjust laws and not fight for the laws, that is not love. My love, my desire is to work for those people who are marked by unjust laws. I know I am taking a risk. A lot of the benefits that I enjoy in life today is because of the hard work and the sacrifice of those of the past. I cannot live my life with all those injustices going on and do nothing about it. Doing nothing about it is supporting it. And presently, the system as it is, I will not support it because it is fair to some and unfair to others. We just ask fairness for everybody. And of all places, we ask for that. We ask for fairness in Canada. We ask for fairness in Canada. Why? Canada is a place of safe refuge for all. Canada is a place where human rights is guaranteed to all. And Canada is a place that preaches inclusiveness and diversity. That is where our fight is, and that is where I expect to bring the change that is needed. So, I mean, Gabriel is essentially their worst nightmare in that he's so well-spoken, is incredibly articulate, and translates his rage into passion. So really makes 
an excellent case for all temporary foreign workers, really. Hey, Vicky, quick. How many female prime ministers have we ever had? We have had one. That is true. I think I was in the second grade, Kim Campbell. And we've yet to have one since. That seems like too many men. Canadian politics is very much a man's game. There are only 26% of our MPs are female. And I know there's, in recent years anyway, there's been a big push to try and get that gender equity up there. But uh, particularly what I wanted to talk about is masculinity and manliness and how that plays into things like elections and how that plays into things like what voters think about. So, you know, we've heard about Mulcair's beard, talked a lot about Harper being, you know, that tough on crime kind of guy. And Trudeau, in by contrast, throughout the election and even the run up to the election was definitely portrayed as a sort of more boyish. And his looks were used against him in a way that I had personally never seen, uh, you know, in my lifetime anyway, be used against a man more often than not when politicians are trying to portray another politician as a little bit more flaky or flighty tend to be female. And so what was interesting is that somebody actually studied it. So all of our our random musings that we have was put into an actual legit study by Gerald Sabin and Kyle Kirkup. And they studied how masculinity played into the 2015 election. And I called up Sabin, who's a research associate at the Carleton Center for Community Innovation, while he was at a hotel in New Orleans. And I asked him what the ideal male politician really looks like. He's married. He has a family. He has children. He has a dog. (laughs) He's tall. He's thin, clean shaven and and a clean haircut. So that sounds like the ideal guy. Who came up with that? Yeah, they spoke to image consultants and journalists in Ottawa about what an ideal male politician looks like. And that's a picture they got because I, I found that having a dog over a cat thing to be a little bit odd. Like, it's not like I'm like, I must vote for a dog owner when I get to the voting booth. But I guess, you know, everybody has their own implicit biases and cats are jerks. After talking to image consultants and journalists, what did they do with this information? Yeah, so they looked at traditionally masculine and non-masculine terms. And so the terms that we came up with in our study were aggressiveness and anger, stoicism and restraint, as well as confidence and self-assuredness. Aren't those kind of conflicting terms to be stoic and, and restrained, but also be aggressive at the same time? Well, it's the one kind of emotion that a man is allowed to have and express in traditional masculinity. You, you should not be too emotive, but you can certainly be angry. And then when we looked at what might be defined as you know, non-traditional norms of masculinity, what the literature says is things like weakness, passivity, overly emotional, but that excludes anger, as well as terms of emasculation. So things like being young or boyish or feminine or florid. I think those terms are bullshit, but I understand how traditional masculinity needs them as ways to confine men, but also as ways to attack women. Because traditionally masculinity is bullshit to begin with. So facts on facts. Yeah. And so when we looked and we defined these you know, two sets of terms, we then turned to a data set of 756 articles written in the 10 leading English language newspapers. And we looked for the use of either Stephen Harper's name, Tom Mulcair's name, or Justin Trudeau's name, and then how they were described by editorial boards and political commentators. And what we found was quite striking. Stephen Harper was largely described using terms of strength. Tom Mulcair was described largely as angry and the moniker Angry Tom. And Justin Trudeau was described primarily using terms of subordinate masculinity. He is young, he is boyish, he is emotive. 
So I asked Saban if Trudeau had broken some sort of masculinity glass ceiling because he does tend to be a little bit more emotive than politicians that we've seen in the past. And, you know, all of the ways that they try to feminize him by commenting on his hair and his looks and stuff didn't really work because, I mean, he is our prime minister now. Um, and his rating still to this day, if you're tracking polling, is he has very good favorability ratings. So I wanted to ask about that masculinity glass ceiling. He's certainly opened up space for a conversation about masculinity. I think that's true. And the way in which the Conservatives went about attacking him for his hair or for his perceived lack of experience, they attacked him on his intelligence. They attacked him for who his father was. These are often lines that are used to attack women politicians and to undermine their candidacy. And so I think when we look at how Justin Trudeau was portrayed by the Conservatives in the election and then how the Liberals worked to kind of change the conversation on Justin Trudeau by playing up his athleticism. We see him paddling down the Bow River. We see him running up the Grouse Grind, walking up the escalator at the Metro Toronto uh, Convention Centre. You know, what we're seeing is kind of a conversation playing out in real time about what it means to be a man in Canadian politics and what it means to be a man in leadership. And I think Canadians noticed that and they didn't necessarily like the way that Stephen Harper and Tom Mulcair were were taking on Justin Trudeau. Do you think, though, part of that, you know, the fact that Canadians weren't very well receptive to the way Justin Trudeau's masculinity was attacked, do you think it's because Justin Trudeau is arguably quite masculine in the traditional sense? You know, he is very athletic. He boxes in his spare time. He can do these yoga planks. He's doing push-ups on on, on video. If there was a male politician who's, let's say, for example, his main physical activity was power walking, wouldn't that make <laughs> it harder for it to be a little bit more well-received? When gender's taken up in the media and when it's discussed either implicitly or explicitly, there's an aspect of authenticity that's required. And so with Justin Trudeau, we saw an authentic presentation of a man who is athletic. He does all of those things. He um, does perform particular aspects of traditional masculinity. That's absolutely true. I think there was some resonance around his hair and, and his youth and his looks. I think people did see that as well, and that's why that media line continued. But when we look at Tom Mulcair, for example, he was presented out of the NDP leadership convention as an aggressive leader, and that carried through in the lead-up to the 2015 election. I think there was a change in strategy, and that's what our research shows on the part of the NDP, to try and soften Tom Mulcair's image, make him more grandfatherly, have him smile during the debates. And it came across as inauthentic. The conversation is really interesting to me because I think what we saw in the campaign was that the NDP and the Conservatives were determined to have this regressive gender conversation, which if you looked at anything, that's not the conversation people are trying to have. So, for example, anti-bullying campaigns geared towards boys and men have always done that thing of taking an insult towards men and then owning it. For example, there was all this bullying idea around wearing pink shirts. And then so people just said, well, I'll wear a pink shirt to support this person. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think there was a fundamental miscalculation on behalf of both war rooms and both the NDP and the Conservatives. Um, and they just didn't think it was going to negatively impact them, I, you know, and especially the conservatives when they ran those nice hair, though, those ads. I don't know what they were thinking, because personally, it's not as if somebody having nice hair disqualifies them for prime minister somehow. I don't think Canadians are dumb enough to think that hair follicles generates policy. Also, Harper has nice hair, too. They know. all have really nice hair. Yeah, These that, are some men with conditioner in their lives. This, so I don't understand why they would go after one guy for having better conditioner. It makes no sense. <laughs> 
That's our show for this week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter or Facebook by uh, typing in Canada Land Commons into that little search bar. Our producer is Kevin Sexton, and our music is by Nathan Burley. Our website is canadalandshow.com. You can find me by emailing me vicky at canadalandshow.com or on Twitter at vmochama. Supriya, how can they find you? Uh, They can email you to get at me. The next episode of Shortcuts comes out on Thursday and Commons on Tuesday. And if you like the show and we know that you do, then support us. Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.